Hello and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, another Brandon, Brandon Johnson. Hello. Hey, how's your uh, week been? How's the day landing in you? Uh, It's good. Earlier in the week, the family and I got out to the Oregon coast. Um, I had some nice time there, and today we've just kind of been chilling, enjoying some sun. How about you? Uh, I did not get to go to the coast, but I did get to enjoy the sun. Yeah, Uh, I took my dog to his favorite place. He has a lot of favorite places, but currently it's uh, Minto Brown Island Park, right on the edge of uh, town. It is wonderful and big and full of sky and plants. And I found mm, the corner of the, great. yeah, I found the corner of the park that it has very few people in it. So it's even better. Even uh, better. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, are, what are you drinking? Are you uh, having a grown up beverage this evening? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a whiskey sour tonight. Oh, that's a good one. I'm having a gin martini. Cheers. Cheers. We are talking this time about Matthew chapter one. Uh, So if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, uh, we both highly recommend and encourage you to go read it. There's a link in the show notes, uh, which if you've never tapped around in your podcast player, there should be a button or a swiping option to be able to find that. And yeah, click on through to that and give it a read. Hit pause on us. It's okay. We won't take it personally. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for taking the time to read that. Let's get started. So this chapter starts off with a long list of names that are not easy for me to pronounce. Yeah. Um... But one, the first name, is easy Mm -hmm. for me to pronounce. Jesus. There it is. You kept that one. You decided I, not to. I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so clearly you're, you're thinking about how I've shifted some of the names from what we're used to to the more Hebrew version of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for instance, uh, for anyone looking at, at the rest of the chapter, you'll notice and, and Mary doesn't appear anywhere in there. Um, and it's Miriam instead. And it's... Hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to be super clever. It's just a simple thing is that Mary is just the English version of the Greek version of <laughs> Miriam from Exodus, uh, Moses' sister, the first person in, in scripture that shows up with that name. Um, so she's named after Miriam, Moses' sister. And that gets lost if we don't translate it that way. Um, and what's what's the import? Why does that? Why did that matter in translating this? You're doing this project yeah. for your, your um, daughters. Why did you want I, to make that yeah. change? Yeah, I mean, there's this really sense of so much of this book, Matthew, um, and the rest of the Christian scriptures uh, that are intimately connected with the Hebrew Bible, and. I think part of why we misunderstand a lot of it is because we try to read it in isolation from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's, it's a little bit of just a tiny nod to the fact that this is a continuation of something that already exists and any effort to disconnect it from that is, is not great. 
Sure. And then there's also this really problematic history. So other names like Simon instead of Simeon mm-hmm. or uh, Judas instead of Judah. Uh, there's this little, a lot of examples of names that get weirdly shifted a little bit mm-hmm. because we're taking them from like the Greek version instead of all those people are named after the sons of Jacob in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judas is named after Judah. Simon Peter is named after Simeon and we lose that. Wow. Yeah. That does change it. Like there's a a strain of scholarship that says Jesus was effectively kind of reconstituting the 12 tribes of Israel around himself and being a new Moses, something like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, that always felt a little bit like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, but when you see right some there. of the names, yeah. it's not like, it's not like all 12 of them, but they're yeah, not all 12. Even just a few of them. You're like, Oh shit. I kind of see what's going on here. That's mm-hmm. cool. Even Matthew at, at some point, I don't actually remember where it happens. Um, you figure out that he has kind of two names. The other one is Levi, another one of the 12 tribes. Sure. Um, Matthew was his Greek name, which is, was just a common cultural thing to do. You had your Hebrew name for your friends and family and you had your Greek name for doing business with the wider world. Um, yeah. But there, also there's just this uh, part of the history of why some of those shifts happen that pretty, I mean, there's really no other way to name it than anti-Semitic. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of us just inherit it because that's how we know those names and have no idea why they're called that. Um, but it's a, a strong historical current uh, through the centuries of mm-hmm. theology and Bible work that is just strongly anti-Semitic, and there's no way around that. And doing any little thing to, to reverse that is worth doing, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, so you decided to shift over to Miriam for mm-hmm. Mary. Yeah. Why, um, why keep Jesus Jesus? Because I'm told yeah. that that's not the proper pronunciation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's a, if I'm worried Jesus. about antisemitism and changing things back to the original Hebrew, well, not exactly Hebrew. Miriam is not how I would pronounce it in Hebrew. Uh, but plus, you know, the, the yeah. English version of, we of also don't really have origin. their vowels anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jesus is, is a Greek name, not mm-hmm. a, not a Hebrew name. And honestly, like, it's a gut reaction is mostly why I kept it. And then like talking through it a little bit, helped me kind of like process why was that there that strong of a gut reaction? Um, so Yeshua or something close to that. I don't know about, I don't know how perfect my pronunciation is there. It would not pass for a ancient Hebrew pronunciation probably, but more or less Yeshua is, is what the name would have been that, that he went by. Yeah. Uh, with his friends and family there in in uh, Galilee and in, in Judea, mm-hmm. um, and the the modern equivalent of that the is Joshua. <laughs> yeah, and and we know people named Joshua. We call him Josh a lot of times. Like, wh- yeah. why do we need a separate whole name, Jesus? Because it's it's the Greek version is Jesus mm-hmm. is the Greek translation of Yeshua, um, and we took Jesus from the Greek translation of the Hebrew name, and it's weird. It's a little weird. But there's there's a sense in which like 
a lot of my translation decisions are are not inherently to change how it's already been done or to keep how it's already been done like trying to like really just wrestle with what makes this what gives me and my kids and anybody else looking at this the most direct route to connecting with what's going on mm-hmm. without as much interference as possible and i feel like just because of what a big name Jesus is in all of our minds, changing that would be more of a distraction, more of a hindrance to connecting with it than a help. Yeah. They're already familiar with some sense of there being a person named Jesus that is kind of at the center of all this. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of intimacy with that persona. Yeah. Yeah. So you're actually putting a boundary in the text. If you just replace it with, Here's a record of the origin of Josh, uh-huh. who is Christ. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't say that without giggling. How much harder for children? Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just actually get mildly meta here um, and look at the header. You mm-hmm. decided to call it the gospel according to Matthew. Yeah. Explain um, yourself. And maybe actually I've been toying with changing that. It just, I didn't spend that much time with my header and maybe the, the good news or the announcement or something like that, according to Matthew, would be better in my, in my Greek Bible. If I were to actually, I have, I've been using electronic versions for most of my work here, but if I went into my closet and pulled out my box from seminary and, and pulled out my Greek new Testament, um, it would say in, in Greek, of course, um, what would translate to according to Matthew. It, it wouldn't have that first word on the, the gospel, the good news. It's just according to Matthew, not the Matthew or however that's uh, pronounced. Is that um, true for the other three? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh? Cool. Yeah. But traditionally, historically, it's referred to as just Matthew or if it's longer, the gospel according to Matthew mm-hmm. and I just don't have strong feelings really. So I just kept it easy enough. Yeah. So right after that, we have this big thick paragraph with a lot of J's and Z's and U's in the start of people's names. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Anything you want to. Uh, well, I definitely don't want to just read through all the names because um if you actually followed brandon's instructions earlier and read through it when uh when we paused for a little bit your eyes probably glazed over um as mine do really um (laughs) (laughs) yep me too Mm -hmm. um but there's a reason that that's there if you go back into the hebrew bible and the book that we we know as first chronicles there's nine full chapters the first nine chapters that are just like this just a list of names going through the the genealogies wow yeah and then they serve a purpose like we mm-hmm. think of a genealogy and we think of like you go to the library you pull out the microfish you look in the little eyepiece and and see this like backlit magnified thing of like an old record of yeah and it's just like 
oh, that's interesting, a bit historical trivia. And it's like, no, this is serving a literary purpose here. This is yes. meant to say, hey, you're supposed to, by the time you get to this, you're, it's assumed that you already know who all these people are. Yeah. Um, and instead of retelling the whole story, it just lists all the names. Like, yeah, remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and all the, you know, through the list. And it's like, yeah, think of everything that happened to them. This is the story. Je Jesus is like, we're fast forwarding through that whole story. And then we're slowing down when we get to Jesus. Yeah. And we're telling in detail that story because we haven't gotten that story in other places yet. Yep. So uh, this is also the setup to uh, a theme. Mm -hmm. Big one. That uh, I think both of us were aware of being what the what Matthew is trying to like tip his hat. Uh, is that the idiom? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it became really clear for you mm -hmm. much further and deeper in Matthew. Yeah. As you went along, you want to tell people about that? Yeah, I noticed a hint at it here. And then when I got to chapters like five, six, and seven, mm -hmm. um, it got really clear. Um, and then I actually came back to this chapter and looked at it again and was like, okay, did I actually, did I honor that enough now that I realize that that should be honored as much as it is being honored later on? Um, so it's something, it's honoring something called Jubilee, um, which a lot of the, people the don't know that. Uh, yeah, that's a good reference to Jubilee. Uh, X person. Not ex Yes. Um, <laughs> She's a mutant now. Um <laughs> A mutant, uh, a femme-presenting mutant. Yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's, the word is never here. Um, it's not said explicitly. But Hebrew literature loves using numbers of things to allude to meanings that, that it's kind of like, hey, do you get the joke? Um, Mm-hmm. And so the fact that in chap in verse 17 here in this chapter, talking about there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 more David to Babylon, 14 more from Babylon to, uh, I translated here, Messiah, more traditionally, Christ uh, is talking about Jesus. Um, and we can get into what that word means at some point too. Mm -hmm. um, and so altogether, it doesn't, it doesn't list the altogetherness. Um, but altogether, that's 42. It has it in three sets of 14. 14 is not a super important number, but seven is. Mm -hmm. um, and what we have here is six sets of seven generations. Um, and full transparency, it's actually a little wonky. The math is a little weird. The, the 14 to, and 14 and 14 doesn't quite work, actually. You have <laughs> really? You have David in there. I saw twice. that in the footnote. What? Yeah. What? Uh, that that shows you yeah. how much Matthew was depending on us all to zone out. At the <laughs> well, I, I think the other way around. It's 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 showing you how important the number is to Matthew. Yeah. Okay. He's making it work. He's just fudging it just a little bit. So David counts as the last of the first set of 14 and the first of the second 14. Oh, sneaky. And then there's later in, in the third set, there's somebody left out. Um, I think it's 
Jehoiakim or somebody um, that if you actually go back into the Hebrew Bible, you can find it there in the records. But um, and it's all just on like, I need this to be 14, 14, 14, because I need it to be six sets of seven. Um, so that we can get to. So we can get to Jubilee. Um, so if you don't know what Jubilee is, it comes from everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. It's the third book in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and <clears throat> most Christians that I know just skip it, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. if, if they read it, they're mostly like their minds wandering somewhere else and they're just flipping pages so that they can check off in their reading. Logs. Yes. Technically I, I read the whole Bible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a lot of like priests need to do this thing and, and that thing and a lot of rules and, and regulations. And you got to cut out this section of your house if it got mold in it. And like, just, just a lot of yeah. like, how do we meet all the ex- expectations? Um, and I don't, this isn't the place to go into why each one of those is an expectation. But there were a lot of Bronze Age concerns. Yes. But Leviticus 25, and so that chapter will come up several times throughout the whole book of Matthew. Um, and chapters, I think starting at 17, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 end up being particularly important several times throughout. Mm-hmm. And there are references over and over to Leviticus, um, as well as other places. But mm-hmm. um, Leviticus 25, though, is where Jubilee shows up. And it talks about, essentially, it's, it's, it's very Marxist. It's going to make people uncomfortable who are all about capitalism. Um, it separates life as a community into groups of seven years. So every seven years, people work for six of them. And every seventh year, they don't. Um, they Farms lie fallow. The land gets to rest. There's this weird concern about the health of the land throughout scripture. That That's weird. Get, uh, you mean we're not just more? keeping the GDP going? Yeah. And staying, um, staying ahead of China and all that? Yeah. And there's this weird sense of like, but what about profits? What about taking care of our needs? What, how, yeah. what, what are we going to yeah. eat? And God's just like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you if you trust me and do what you're supposed to do. This is what's best for the land. And what's best for the land is what's best for you. Um, and then after seven, of, after seven of those, there's a, the 50th year. So you get seven, 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 and then a 50th year. Uh, and that's the year of Jubilee. And in that year, all sorts of weird stuff happens. Like any d- outstanding debts are completely forgiven 100%. Mm-hmm. You don't get a say in that. It just happened. Um, if you've sold your property during the past 50 years, you get it back um, at no cost. Um if you've bought property in the last 50 years, you, you suddenly don't have that property anymore. Um, it goes back to the... It goes back to the original the, owners. Original family, yeah. Yeah. But you are also taken care of because any land that may have been sold off from your family comes back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, It makes sure that everything resets so that everybody has what they need. Wow. And there's even like parameters for like the way interest rates work over the course of Mm -hmm. 
yeah, the, yeah. that's 50 you, years if you sell a piece of land five years in since the previous jubilee uh then it costs x amount but if you sell it just like a year before the next jubilee it's prorated you're going to sell it for a lot less mm-hmm. um, because they're only going to get a year use out of it before it reverts back to you oh so it's not the interest rate it's the it's the whole price even of, of yeah. the sale i was going to say i think usury yeah. is kind of like considered by torah to be bullshit so yeah you're not supposed to charge interest to your fellow israelites uh in torah so yeah so this that means Jesus is not the Jubilee himself, he's but not the, the Jubilee because he didn't finish the seventh seven. He's finishing the sixth seven and ushering in that last seven who starts with his disciples, his students, which and then they pass it on to the next generation, next generation. And seven is kind of a, a representation of completion. Um, so it's basically the church is the seventh seven um those who call themselves followers of of what jesus taught of what where jesus led us mm-hmm. um are the seventh set of seven who are supposed to be leading toward that jubilee where everybody has what they need no one's going without everyone's taken care of everything's good for everyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's fantastic and it's so easy to yeah, not catch catch the reference, not catch the yeah, like the, the implication of this. There are times when the writers of the New Testament will will say like, "Hey, by the way, this is in accordance with this thing," or mm-hmm. as it was say, written, yeah, Isaiah thing, wrote this or Micah wrote that. You know, yeah, they but... just drop the footnotes in the text and mm-hmm. spell it out for you. But there's just tons and tons of these things. Where you know little phrases, as you alluded to earlier, where if I said there are dozens of us, there are people out there. Literally who, dozens. There are dozens, dozens. Yeah. yeah, there are out there who have watched the amazing series Arrested Development and would catch that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> or for instance, noticing that there happened to be uh, Jesus is the. 42nd generation 42 being the answer to the great question of life (laughs) universe and everything um you know it just makes sense right (laughs) yeah Yeah. well wait i think if if he's the 42nd or 43rd because i think that would make mary the 42nd in which case both of us need to cross the tiber river i believe uh yeah we need to rethink some things no i'm I'm pretty sure it's uh jesus is number 42 here okay okay let's uh let's keep moving along here uh i see in that uh Final paragraph there, sacred life breath. Who is this? What is the sacred life breath? And where did yeah, you put the Holy trying Spirit? To, trying to figure out what to do with this uh, was interesting. And it's again, it's one of those things I'm not changing things just, hey, look at me. I've got this new way to say it that's different and I'm original and. Um, yeah, edge lord. Yeah. But if I'm thinking of not just carrying on with the way things are just because that's the way they've been done and avoiding these like uh, religious technical terms. Um, holy is certainly one of those. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely just one of these words that if you're used to reading the Bible, you just kind of gloss over it. You assume you know what it means. You don't question it too much. Um, and then Holy spirit, that just means like 
part of God, right? Like, yeah. well, it's actually saying something about this thing um, and was just, uh, at Jesus' time, it was just one of the ways that people referred to God. It wasn't trying to distinguish between the three persons of a, of a trinity that wasn't fully worked out yeah, until later. Yeah, they hadn't quite figured that out yet. Um, but so sacred... You know, there's there's a sense in which that's a little bit of a technical thing too, but it's it's not it's it's different enough that it it forces you to stop and like think about it for a second, and that's mostly yeah. what I want to have happen is to think about this, like pay attention, like what do you what does that say to you? Um, well, in the word holy, it's it carries a handful of connotations for those of us who spent any amount of time in proximity to these texts mm -hmm. and worshiping communities around them. Uh, holy captures like uh, unworthiness and unfathomable better. There's not a way to say that word without sounding drunk. Is there unfathomable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but well, I mean, holier than thou being a term that I've heard many times in my life. I think I've heard that one before. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it it has so many connotations and like sacred at a dictionary level isn't that f different from it basically means almost the same thing and maybe not precisely but it's darn close yeah yeah uh but life breath mm -hmm. yeah life breath that's so that's one that where I took the little bit of the risk of like, this might be a little bit distracting, but I think I, I'm hoping it's distracting in a good way. Um, so the, wor the word that we translate normally is spirit in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, although I don't know Latin, so I'm taking other people's word for that one, is the same word for, for wind, for breath, and for spirit. Um, and we have these really distinct ideas of what all those things mean as English speakers. And they're just, the lines are much more blurred for mm -hmm. a native ancient Greek speaker or ancient Hebrew speaker. Um, I can't speak as nearly as much to contemporary Greek or contemporary Hebrew, but. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a sense of like, so someone's spirit Think back to Genesis, what is it, two, right? Or where God breathed life into yes. the dirt thing that was formed and it became a living being. He, God breathed breath into it, breathed the spirit of life into what became Adam. Um, that it, Adam's spirit, Adam's breath, is God's breath. This is the life breath that we're talking about here. This is God's life breath that flows in and out of every living thing. Um, animating it. Animating being from mm -hmm. a Latin word re related to spirit and, and soul and um, alive. So, so the sacred life breath is what's traditionally the Holy Spirit. It's this energy this presence of god that brings life to everything it touches that's moving in and out of all things you know wow well it's got me wondering now like just spending a little bit more time reflecting on that in him we live and move and have our being mm -hmm. 
if spirit and life, uh, what struck me is that all three of these languages are using one word for three, the same three things. Uh That's, were they all thinking of the air as like when a creature doesn't have access to the air, they cease. Yeah, I mean, is is it, is the air in some sense the presence of God? Latin speaker, ancient Greek speaker, exactly why they thought of the same thing. But I assume so. Like, you, you can take food away from people, and it's going to take a few weeks, but they're going to die. You can take water away from people; it's going to take a few days, but they're going to die. You take air away from people, like there's no quicker way yeah. to deprive someone of something, and you're depriving them of life. Yeah, that's. It just makes me wonder how explicitly they considered the atmosphere <laughs> uh-huh. to be, in some sense, the presence of the divine. The I, I don't imagine that to be the case. I feel like I would have stubbed my toe on that theory at some points or another. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean. I mean, just atmosphere makes me think of the sky, sky being heavens. heavens in, in all of these languages and in many modern languages like Spanish. Yeah. We, we have a different word for it for some reason, but the cielo in, in Spanish can be translated sky or heaven. Like the same with Greek and Hebrew and all these other languages. It's not a different, there's no different word for those things. Mm-hmm. The place where God is. Boy, it just, what that does for me is open up a sense of imagination for what their perception and almost the tactility of reality is like just through the way their language worked. Mm-hmm. That's part of the fun thing about this project for me is just getting yeah. a fresh approach to words carry, they, they get kind of laid down in documents as fossils uh, mm-hmm. of, of what life was like in that moment um, yeah, and that's a whole field of study. Linguistic anthropology is a thing where people learn about cultures by studying the languages and trying to figure out like how do they conceptualize ideas and culture and and how to live life based on how they use language. Man. We should probably move on. Uh, yeah. So we've got a we have uh, three big ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Here that were, are all going to come up in later chapters. So I would say let's just yeah. um, spend a, acknowledge two of them and spend a bit of time on one of them. Uh, which of sure. them do you feel like acknowledging and which? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few that can just be acknowledged and there will be lots of opportunities. Um, yes. So like talking about in, uh, in verse 19, Joseph being traditionally the translation is he was he was righteous um and as someone who didn't grow up in the church didn't grow up reading the bible be like what the hell does righteous mean that's not a word you hear anywhere else unless you're thinking of like surfer dude righteous righteous right right yeah uh, you know and then like doesn't it's just nonsense but yep um even even growing up in the church is like what what exactly does that mean actually i use it and i have a general sense of it it's 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 well on like this is the thing you want to be like but um yeah it's one of those cases of a word becoming a sound it's just like i know this is (laughs) 
mm-hmm. a word I can use, but it just sounds like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's another English word that does really well. It's it's not maybe not a hundred percent perfect overlap, um, but it, it does quite a bit, is justice. Uh, or righteousness would be justice and righteous would be just. Um and so hmm. it's saying that Joseph is a is a guy who's just. He's committed to justice. He he looks out for the marginalized, for the oppressed, and is doing good things for them. He's not not just looking out for what he can get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just keeping with power structures and status quo, but like all of Hebrew scripture is is seeking for liberty and freedom and justice. He's ready for some Jubilee. Yeah, he's ready for some Jubilee. And he, and he shows some of that here. He's, you know, maybe not... Uh, he's not a bougie or aggressive. He, he's ready for the people's yeah, front of Judea. Yeah, like fully understand everything that's happening. Um, so, like, his first impulse is, like, I'm going to do well by her by uh, separating privately and not, like, making a big deal out of the fact that she's pregnant. Um. Yeah. Now, but, yeah. Yeah. So he didn't take quite the leap of like, we're just going to stay married and we'll figure it out. Um, which luckily God steps in and says, do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other way you could have translated it because the same Greek word, uh, can you give us the pronunciation? Uh, dikaios for just or dikaiosune for justice or righteousness. Uh huh. Okay. That root word and its cognates is either just justice or righteous righteousness. The other way to translate that, like righteous, the heart of that is, in my understanding, around um, covenant belonging. Like you're, you have a certain sense of holy belonging. You're part of the like Yahweh project. Like you're mm-hmm. in. Um, your belonging as expressed in Torah is like thumbs up, brother. So a way of reading this text with the word righteous that captures that energy would be if we sort of enunciated it that way, it captures like he's God. I, I prefer the way you translated it because it's easy to think of like, in keeping with the covenant as a good rules follower and goody two shoes or something like that. Like Hmm. he was a Hmm. more like a a morally anal retentive guy or something like that. But we're like, yeah, no, he cared. Yeah. That's well in the, in the, in the soul of Torah is your fidelity of God is expressed in your fidelity to the marginalized Mm -hmm. among you. And Miriam as a inexplicably pregnant, unmarried girl. Mm-hmm. Which is a great transition to the next yeah. important point here. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's fun to be able to sort of bend these notes. I feel like every time you choose one direction or the other on Dikasune. Yeah. Cause it's not the I, only it, way I translate it. Um, no. Other way, it, variations on a phrase, something along the lines of like, it fits with the vision that God has for everything being well, everything being good. 
Mm -hmm. uh, everyone being connected and like we can do this together um that's the dream that things are working toward yeah yeah so that um that pivot you mentioned uh yeah unmarried girl um i thought she was a virgin yeah i mean the word can be translated that it's not an incorrect translation but it misses the point Mm -hmm. Um, which is that she's unmarried i mean that's literally that's literally what the word means english has um an older word for that too maiden uh that literally meant unmarried um so it would like it would be a miss instead of a missus, and that's what this word is. So, so the, she was uh, made Miriam. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had not, I had not made that connection. Um, but the assumption, the cultural assumption, is like you're waiting until you're married to have sex with anybody. So yeah, an unmarried girl is someone who hasn't had sex by like kind of by default, but that's not what the word means. Mm-hmm. It's not about sex. It's about marital status. Yeah. Which is an economic status, particularly back in that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, anything for a woman is always going to be a, a lower social status in this culture. Mm-hmm. Um, well, our culture too, frankly, but yep. Yep. Um, which is a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But even more so here, like women weren't allowed to have jobs. So yeah. the only way to have food on, the, on your table, to have a place to live, to have clothes to wear, to, to, to exist, was to be dependent on a man if you're a woman in this culture. Um, so to be unmarried was fine like not yet married you live with your father was the man you're dependent on Mm -hmm. um and then you got married and then you were transferred your your, uh dependency was transferred to your husband like property who gives this woman yeah 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 that it, it really changes uh for me like i initially when i read this translation i thought oh that's refreshing but whatever. And I moved on. And then I thought about a f- ways further into this gospel. There's a parable about 10, well, unmarried women. Mm-hmm. And it hit me then that what matters in that story is their social and economic status. I don't know how important it is to the actual story, but if I'm going to have to pick between a a shorthand for describing a female Mm -hmm. or anyone, um, you either are going to mark them out according to their social and economic status or whether or not they've had sex. Yeah, that'd be a really weird way to go. But that's what we did. <laughs> so I really appreciate you just drawing, saying like, bullshit, we don't have to like make that the most important thing about Mary. No. Like, it, we don't have to. Yeah, I mean, the, the reference here even is to another passage in the Hebrew scriptures from the book of Isaiah, 
Yeah. Um, so that, that's why it's in quotes. Uh, you know, look, the unmarried girl will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel. That's a quote from a different place in the, in the Bible. Um, that was not talking about Jesus directly. It was talking about another person that the original readers of the book of Isaiah would have known. Yes. Um, who at the time of its writing was not yet married, was not yet pregnant. By the time she was pregnant, she was married. Um, so the parallel here we, with like making this about having sex, like it's, it was just like in when Isaiah wrote, it's like, yeah, she's not yet married. That's who I'm talking about. The one who's not married yet, not who, when they have a child will have not yet have had sex. Like that's not what this is talking about. God, that just, <laughs> as I'm thinking through like the implications of it in, um, uh, the Roman church, um, you know, talking about the blessed virgin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they then teach that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life, even. Sure. Um, yeah. where, which is gets real tricky because later in Matthew here, it starts talking about brothers and sisters. Um, mm-hmm. So unless they're uh, conceived by the sacred life breath too, you got, right. some, you got some questions. Yes, sir. God, this has been so enjoyable. I appreciate you taking the time, not just to prepare this translation for your daughters, but to uh, share the journey with me with other friends and with everyone listening. You know, we didn't even get to hit on everything on our list today. There have been a couple of big ones. Like, you know, I'm not even going to say it. Listeners, if you caught some weird translations in there, you're ahead of the curve. Bonus points to you. Uh, We will address them in future episodes That about wraps it up for this week. We are both so thankful for your company for this week's Leg of the Journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or even a review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show enjoying this nerdy little adventure. Uh, The second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor for just $5 a month. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for that. When you do that, you'll get comment access on the translation's Google Doc, early access to next week's chapter, and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. And again, you can find the link for how to do that in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry.fm on Chinook land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>